its entirety. For those who might need that, we'll instruct you how to come to the front. Essentially, you'll walk in a circle, you'll get up, you'll walk right, come across and receive from an elder the elements, and return to your section, your seat. And if you need to stay where you are, we'll bring them to you. So that's available to you if you like. Let's pray. God, we come to this place to, uh, to be a thankful people. To be reminded and to live by faith the reality of what is. That we might be a thankful people. To come to us now, God. Speak so clearly through Scripture. Let us hear again um, the Word of God. And let it impact our lives. Let it change us. For Lord, we're open, we're receptive, we want to hear from you. And we want to become everything you would have us become. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're here today to be thankful. Um, you know what's really true? You know what's really true as opposed to true true? <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to be thankful. Um, sometimes, sometimes, you know, it's not easy to be thankful at all, you know, when you're living in that circumstance where you're not really liking what's going on. Um, it's easy to, to uh, complain and, and, and to, to, to be unhappy and dissatisfied with what is and actually live there. Never do that? Duh. Of course we do it. All of us do it. You know, the reality is uh, that, that, that it's hard when, when you're ill and maybe seriously ill to be thankful. It's hard when you're struggling with, with physical pain or maybe an emotional pain and you're depressed and you can't see hope at the end of the line. Maybe you're so anxious that you can't leave your home and that happens more than you know. That's a hard place to be thankful uh, for what you have. You know, sometimes, you know, people compare themselves to others. You know, the others seem to be prospering more than me, and, and that's a theme in the Psalms, of course, but that can be played out in so many ways. You know, he has, he has that home, and, and, and mine's not good enough, or she's wearing those clothes, and what I have isn't good enough. You know, and on and on it goes. Look at the appearance of that person. Why can't I be that handsome or pretty? It's really easy to be in a place in life, and sometimes to live in that place where it's hard to be thankful. Yet scripture calls us to be thankful all the time. I want to suggest that the heart of sometimes our unthankfulness is, is the reality of wanting something desperately in life and God not giving it to us. Just not having it, even though we might call upon him for it. And I want to tell you that's a common dynamic. It's just something that plays out in our lives. And I want to talk this morning about how to be a thankful people, how to be the people of God who are thankful in a way that scripture calls us to, over and over and over again. Um, the exact circumstance the Israelites are, are, find themselves in, in in Numbers chapter 11. Uh, the, you know, by the way, I hope you study, and I mean, let me maybe broaden that even a little bit more. I hope you study scripture. I hope you are increasing in your knowledge of God by increasing in your knowledge of the Bible. All right? Take that one to heart right now. But I hope you, you study the, the, the people of Israel, the Israelites. In the early part of scripture because you know the more i look at them the more i study them the more i grapple with scripture the more i see me <laughs> a lot of time has passed but human nature hasn't and they're kind of living out their relationship with god and they're just you know living with who they are and they just do things that i am tempted to do and you are tempted to do 
And in this place, they're not particularly happy. The scenario is this. They have been in the desert wanderings for a time. God has shown up in a huge way for them. He has freed them from the power of Pharaoh. They have been oppressed and they have suffered, but God has freed them. God has given them victory. God fought the battle at the Red Sea. Uh, the, the, the enemy has been defeated for so long, this oppressive power has just hurt them and destroyed their lives, and all of a sudden, in a moment, there is no oppressive power. They have no enemy in this instance. None. It's an awesome, remarkable thing. God has chosen these people as his, as his own at Sinai. They have entered into covenant relationship with God. The people of God saying, we, will, we choose you as our God. We will follow you. We'll, we, we will be faithful to you. We will obey your commands. And God has given them the Ten Commandments to bless them, to show them how to form themselves as a nation and how to live. Much of it brand new to them and different, radically different from their culture. And God has come along and, and in response and said, I will be your God. I will bless you. I will love you. I will take care of you. I will provide for you. I will give you life. It's an incredible thing that they've got so that in this moment, God is present to them and God is real and God is powerful. He is providing for them. He's giving them manna to eat. Huge blessings have come their way. And then this, Numbers 11, verse one to 10, verses 1 to 10. Soon the people began to complain mm. about their hardship and the lord heard everything they said then the lord's anger blazed against them and he sent a fire to rage among them and he destroyed some of the people in the outskirts of the camp then the people screamed to moses for help and when he prayed to the lord the fire stopped after that the area area was known as teborah which means the place of burning because fire from the lord had burned among them there then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave, note that word, crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt, and we had all the cucumbers and melons, leeks, onions, and garlic we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. The manna looked like small coriander seeds, and it was pale yellow like gum resin. The people would go out and gather it from the ground. They made flour by grinding it with hand mills or pounding it in mortars. Then they boiled it in a pot and made it into flat cakes. These cakes tasted like pastries baked with olive oil. The manna came down on the camp with the dew during the night. Moses heard all the families standing in the doorways of their tents whining. And the Lord became extremely angry. Moses was also very aggravated, which is a story in itself. Look at that one later, too. You know, what a great, what a great passage for Thanksgiving, huh, people? It's a little depressing when you look at this circumstance. Uh, but I want to tell you there are huge lessons from God for us in this text. The first one being this, it is an incredibly easy thing to be surrounded by the blessing of God and not see it. Say that again. It is an incredibly easy thing to be surrounded by the blessing of God and not see it. God is giving them food every day. They don't have to work for it. Anybody here uh, who would like to have food to eat every single day in life that, as another translation says, is a delicacy, but not have to work for it? That would be kind of decent, huh? Every day, there it is. Um, you know, not only do they have the manna, you know, God is taking them to the promised land. 
this land flowing with milk and honey, this land that they will occupy and they will harvest crops that they have not planted, not bad. And they're going to have this existence there that is only a dream to them at this point, but God has promised it to them. You know, no more deadly enemy to worry about, as I have said. They are free men and they are free women with this incredible future. And most of all, most of all, God is intimately present to them. Now Yahweh is their God and he is speaking to them and he is providing for them and he is protecting them and he is leading them and he is bringing them to life in greater and greater measure. He is on their side, and I could go on and on and on, but right there in that place, what do they do? They complain and they whine. Now, you know what I'm talking about is sometimes Israelites reflecting us. Complain and they whine. Firstly, because they have hardship. Verse 1, if we could just pop that up. Um, it doesn't explain particularly why, but in this moment, life is hard for them. I mean, it's probably because of their desert wanderings. They're a transitory group, and they don't have a home yet, and they, and they, they are living in, 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 with some difficulty. You know, water had to be provided for them miraculously at times, and God, of course, did that. But life was tough. Sometimes life is painful for them and for us. And in these places, we are very aware on occasion of what God is not doing for us. You know? Have you ever lived that? You know, we're, we're, God is not intervening in the way that we have asked him to. God is not doing for us what we want him to do. I want to tell you, in that place, it's incredibly easy to be ungrateful and to complain. Especially if you think mistakenly, but especially if you think that hardship isn't supposed to be part of this journey with God. Somehow, some way... People end up thinking that. Even though we live in this fallen world with sin and evil and death and brokenness all over the place, we think somehow if we come to the Lord, all of a sudden it's all going to clear up and we're not going to suffer. Wrong. The Bible never says it. It actually promises the opposite because of our context. And what we have got to remember, my friends, is that God is with us. God is acting for us. God is loving us. God is blessing us in incredible ways. Second element that's really important here comes to us in verse 4. That the, 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 the complaining that arose among the Israelites comes from foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites. You know, the complaining did not start with the people of God, but with the world which had ill-infiltrated the people of God. It was those non-believing folks who had become part of the, uh, of the people of God. And they were pointing out what the Israelites didn't have as opposed to focusing on what they did have. See, God had given them the 10th commandment, and the 10th commandment was don't covet. Don't covet desire, if you would, your neighbor's house, and don't covet his donkey, and don't covet his wife, and on and on the list goes. Don't crave, to use the word of Numbers 11, the things that you don't have that you see other people have. Don't crave their appearance. Don't crave their clothing. Don't crave the, the, you know, the cars your neighbors drive. Don't. So says the 10th commandment. But these folks were pointing out to God's people, man, can you imagine what it would be like if we had that? See, at the heart of coveting is wanting something someone else has that you don't have. And when we covet, we end up craving. By the way, in the midst of this craving process, in the midst of this influence of the world among the people of God, the memory of these folks was a bit of a joke. You understand that, don't you? You know, slavery was so awesome. Remember all the meat that we used to have, the fish that was freeze, the melons and the leeks and the cucumbers? And you remember how great slavery was, they said? 
And I tell you, slavery was a brutal existence that these people cried out to God to free them from. And, but the reality is, it's easy not to see the blessing. It's easy to be blinded to the blessing by glamorizing what we don't have and wishing that we had it. See, the world, I want to suggest to you, my friends, does this to us every day, if we'll let it. Every day we're told what we don't have, and we are tempted to covet the covetousness. And our gaze sometimes becomes fixed on what we don't have, as opposed to sitting back and seeing what we do have and being thankful for it. And we end up craving that thing. Every day, I mean, today, every single one of us will, will, will go home, and we will, if it hasn't happened already, and we will be tempted to covet, to crave, and thus complain by the advertisements you see dozens and dozens and dozens of times every single day. Turn on the television, you'll see them. There, there, are, there is clothing and there are holidays and there are automobiles. I mean, over and over and over, we're told what we should have, but of course we don't, because if we had it, they wouldn't be advertising to us. And you go on, you go on the web, you, know, you go on Facebook. Any commercials on Facebook or advertisements? Of course there are. It's filled with them. And the radio, if you listen to the radio, there are advertisements. And if, and if you read the newspaper, there are advertisements. It is just throughout our society. And these things distract us from... Uh, what we have, and in many ways, causes us to be dissatisfied with what God has given. You want to be thankful, my friends? Stop looking at what could be and start looking at what is. I mean this. Practice this with intentionality. Reject the foreigner within the people of God. There is no place for this in the kingdom of God. There just isn't. Reject that influence. Don't give it place. Instead, as the people of God, those who are in covenant relationship with him, with him, marvel at what God has given us. Marvel at it. Marvel at what God has done. Marvel in the provision of God. Marvel in the hope that he has given to us, just as the Israelites could have done, and the promised land to which we are heading as we engage our desert wanderings toward that incredible place that we will sometime know with God. My friends, I want to tell you, if we become people who marvel at what God has done and what God is doing and what God will do, we will be a thankful people. I want to say, again, you need to do this with intentionality. Just do life as this culture tells us to do life, and gratitude won't just happen. Look at what you don't have constantly and you will end up being dissatisfied. <laughs> and you'll end up breaking the 10th commandment and you'll be coveting all the time and you'll be craving all the time and you will be complaining all the time because life isn't so good. Do you know what I want us to do for just about a minute or two here? And I don't want you to take a long time. This is the interactive part of my sermon today, okay? So get ready to speak. I want you to tell me what we have. I want you to tell me about what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do for us. I want you to reflect a little bit on the passage, but you don't need to be limited to it. What can we just take today as a day of thanksgiving? What can we do today to just remember the reality of what is? Tell me, what do we have? What are you thankful for? What has God done? Yes. Relationships. Incredible thing. God made us relational and he gives us people in our lives we love. What else? Peace in our land. Fabulous. Who would, who would like to live in Syria right now? Hmm? Let me see the hands. 
Canada. What else do we have? Come on. Freedom. Just like the Israelites have been given freedom. A, a huge blessing. Over here? Food. Food. Think of the text. And we have more than manna. We have food in incredible abundance here. And we have people, by the way, who are among us who have produced this food for them. And we're incredible thank incredibly thankful to you. We have abundance of food. It's an amazing thing. What else? Freedom of religion. We can be here today and not worry about it. Awesome. What else? Yes. Healthcare. Yes, thank you. We, we, we just have this capacity to go to the hospital and they look after us. Not the same way across the world. What else? Indoor plumbing. <laughs> One of the great blessings of this world. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we have Jesus who has died for us on a cross and he has forgiven our sins and he grants us grace and mercy on a daily basis. He is our present Lord giving us guidance and protection, forming us as his people constantly. What else? Warm homes and soft beds. How many appreciate that literally every day in January, February, and March? I just think of the aboriginal peoples who lived here before, you know, before the, the Anglos showed up, Caucasians showed up. We are blessed. I mean, we could go on and on and on today, right? You realize this. We could go on for an hour, I hope, and be reminded of what we have. And this isn't make-believe stuff. We're not dreaming stuff up and pulling it out of the air. This is reality we're talking about. And my friends, what we are called to do is be a people who recognize reality and thank God for it. And we can be a people who are filled with gratitude to the core of our being for him, for what he has done, for who he is, for what he is doing, and for what he will yet do. Anybody thankful for the promise of heaven and the hope that brings to us? Let me ask you this question. Um, are you content with what you have? I'm going to tell you, I just like to be quiet for about 10 minutes and let you contemplate that. That's what happens when we face the word of God. We're given opportunity to be quiet in the presence of God and let God literally influence our thinking process to speak to us. Are you or are you not content with what you have? It's a huge question, but it's an incredibly important question. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, starting there, says this. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Old translation, godliness with contentment is great gain. <laughs> it's a huge blessing when we can get to the place of being content with what God has given to us. And it's not a hard thing to do when you recognize how much that is. It's not. It's easy at that point. My friends, if you want a truly blessed life, if you want a fantastic life, learn contentment as a pattern of your life and dwell there, celebrating who God is and what he has done for you and for me. I want to make another point. I want to take you to verses 18 to 20 and then 31 to 34 because the reality is that these people complained against God, against what God had done. As you will see in the text, in their complaining and in their whining and in their complaining it's defined as a rejection of god think of that but in the end of the day god gave them what they asked for let's look at the result chapter uh, 11 of course verse 18 to 20 
And say to the people, God speaking to Moses, purify yourselves for tomorrow, you will have meat to eat. You've asked me for it, and I'm going to give it to you, says God. You were whining, and the Lord heard you uh, when you cried, oh, for some meat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will have it to eat. And it won't be for just a day or two or five or ten or even twenty. You will eat it for a whole month until you gag and are sick of it. Another, another translation says until it comes out of your nostrils. My sense is literally that's the translation from the Hebrew Bible, although I didn't check. But you get the idea. <laughs> for you have rejected the Lord. Oof, what a passage of scripture this is. Can I ask you to go home and after supper or before supper, before the turkey, if you would, spend some time in this passage? There's so much here I'm not even getting to today. For you have rejected the Lord in your complaining. You have rejected the, your, the Lord in, complain, or in craving things that he has not given you. You have rejected the Lord in, in, in not recognizing his abundant blessing in your life. You've rejected the Lord who is here among you, and you, you have whined to him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Now let's jump ahead to 30 to 31. Now the Lord sent a wind that brought quail from the sea and let them fall around the camp. For miles in every direction, there were quail flying about three feet above the ground. Another translation says three feet deep. They were lying in the ground in the end. 32. So the people went out and caught quail all that day and throughout the night and all the next day too. No one gathered less than 50 bushels. They spread the quail all around the camp to dry. But while they were gorging themselves on the meat, while it was still in their mouths, the anger of the Lord blazed. Note the word compared to how the chapter began blazed against the people, and he struck them with a severe plague. Um, my friends, be careful what you ask God for in your dissatisfied state, because sometimes God gives us what we want, and it can harm us. Um, some might ask, what on earth is this God of love doing this for? You know, I want to tell you, this was part of the redemptive action of God, in this community's life. It's always part of the loving, gracious, redemptive action of God in a community's life. Uh, this, is the, this is the loving discipline of God. God is forming for himself a people who will be godly. God is forming for himself a people who will see reality and then live by faith, live by that reality. You think it likely they were thankful for the manna after they experienced the meat and the plague? I think it's likely, although we don't, to my knowledge, hear that. But the lesson is this, often the things we crave are not good for us and they bring death. It's like, wow, right? <laughs> in, real, in, in contrast to those things which God has chosen to give to us, which bring us life. You know, lo, you know the, long for more things in your life, you might end up getting them, but you also might end up being more of a materialist than you are now and loving things more than you love God. Can't help but note the reality that most lottery winners' lives are destroyed by their lottery win. Not all, but most. So my friends, what do you crave? What do we as the people of God crave? What do we covet? What do we whine about? <laughs> Isn't it amazing how the word of God is so real to us? 
can be. I want to tell you, it could easily be whatever that is, the recipe for disaster in your life, if you indeed get it. And what we need to do is stop complaining about life, stop longing for what we don't have, and start living a life with an incredible gratitude to God for who He is and for what He has done, for what He is giving us and what He is going to do. I want to wind down with Philippians 2. I believe I begin at, begin at verse 13. Let me see what that is. I did change it, so just give us what I asked for. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked, crooked and perverse people who always long for what they don't have. Oops, did I add that in there? Yes, I did, but you get the point. How do we shine like bright lights in this world? We do it so by recognizing what we've got, praising God with an incredible gratitude so that we are freed from this this urge to complain before him, to whine, and to ask for more. My friends, I want you to know this morning you are blessed. We are the covenant people of God. We have a God who is with us and a God who, is lo- who loves us and a God who is providing for us and a God who is at work among us and a God who has an incredible future for us. And I invite you to great gratitude. I invite you this Thanksgiving day to thankfulness. Let's pray. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for the example, the, the teaching in the in these stories of people from thousands of years ago who, quite frankly, are just like us. But thank you, Father, for who you are and for what you have done. God, give us the wisdom, the understanding, and even, Lord, the capacity to be disciplined so much so that we can simply recognize how incredibly blessed we are. For Lord, we long to be a thankful people, not a complaining and whining people, but a thankful people before you. God, move by your spirit this day and every day which will come in order that we might know you, that we might know what you have done for us, and that we might be incredibly thankful before you. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to uh, move to communion now. And I hope you know or can anticipate what I'm about to say. Because above all else, what do we have? We have Jesus. We have Christ. The one who died on our behalf the one who for many of us has forgiven our sin, who has shown his mercy instead of judgment, who has flooded our lives with grace, which means he gives us not what we deserve, but the opposite, love, kindness, leadership, care, protection, on and on and on. We 
have a God who loves us. We have a God who has given us new life in Christ. We as the people of God have communion with God the Father through God the Son by the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit. My friends, we are the most best blessed people in this world. This bread and this cup, they are our profound sign and symbol of what we have. They are, if you would, the promise of new life. They are the promise of life to come. Many traditions, unlike our own, speak of this not as communion or the Lord's Supper, but as Eucharist, and it's a biblical word. And it just means thanksgiving. And we come to this table today to give thanks to God, a time of great thankfulness in his presence. So I invite you to come to this table, those of you who are his, and those of you who are willing now to confess all your sin before him and repent of it, so as to be in deep communion and fellowship with him again. Um, I invite you to come to Christ. We are having you um, come to the front in this communion, and we, we do it in different ways, but this is called intinction, where you come and dip, that's what intinction means, and you receive the bread as, as you stand here. But come as a thankful people, will you? Come as people whose hearts are filled with gratitude to God for what he has done for you. Let's pray. Gracious God, we can never thank you enough, and, I, and I, I, we know that you know that, but we can never thank you enough for what you have done for us in Christ. Um, Lord, as your people who are now in, through the shed blood of Jesus, a new covenant with you, uh, we are forgiven. We are showing mercy. We are given grace. We know the abundant blessings of God in our lives every single day. All because Jesus came, the Son of God, your Son, the one who was God in the flesh, and he died on a cross for the sin of the world. That we, each of us here, might come to you and just say, I believe in Christ, I believe in your Son and what he has done, and I believe through my confession that I am forgiven of my sin. And we can come into that living, dynamic experience of God, and we can be transformed eternity by it God as your people we come we come Lord in confession right now because we know even before we can receive this communion we must confess our sin for we are too often people who complain and whine we are people who covet and we do so many other things that is uh, that are just contrary to your wish and your desire your law your Torah so Lord for our sin we pray for your forgiveness we pray for more grace and more mercy to be showered upon us. We pray in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, and based upon his shed blood on the cross for our forgiveness. And our God, we receive it, and we thank you for it today. Lord, as we come literally to Christ as represented in these elements this morning, let us come as a thankful people whose minds are filled with what Jesus has done for us.
This we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. The night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread while he was with his disciples and he broke it and said, This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup and he said, This cup is the new new covenant in my blood which is shed for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. And that, my friends, is what together we now do in the presence of the living Christ.
we have the presence of Christ in our lives to guide us and to love us and to bless us. And we have the presence of Christ to take us to heaven for eternity. Where there we will know his love and his beauty and his grace as never before. So my friends, leave this place a thankful people. Leave this place with a gratitude so entrenched in your heart and your mind that it determines the course of your life. Leave this place knowing who God is and thankful for what he has done for us in Christ. To that end, I bless you in the name of God the Father, of God the Son, and of God the Holy Spirit, that you might know him in fullness, that you might live in him by his grace, by his power, as a thankful people. God bless you. Now I